Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. To go. So thank you so much again, uh, Councilor Matlow, for joining uh, us today here on the Long-Term Care Chronicles. Um, My pleasure. Perfect. So um, we'll start off, I guess, with the uh, in long-term care with the COVID-19, how this really impacted, I guess, all 10 city homes and how, I guess, the city, um, I guess, realized in terms of how to be able to handle this type of particular situation? Yeah, the, um, you know, I've had, I've had a number of discussions with our city officials who uh, either were directly or oversee our our long-term care homes, and it, it is, it's clear to me that um, I think initially during the pandemic, and understandably even that it's, it's a novel virus, that there was a lot of learning to do. Uh, there are many intuitive things that were done that I think made our, our, our publicly funded and publicly operated homes far more resilient than many others in the, in the private sector. Uh, but there were, you know, many lessons learned. Um, there were, you know, our city had to quickly adapt to um, you know, increasing screening uh, and improving the quality of screening and ensuring that, for example, that uh, along with the provincial directions, uh, that uh, even the people who were in our homes were the very reason why uh, the virus was being transmitted to others. Um, there, uh, there were a lot of lessons learned. And, now also, and, 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 you know, and worries initially around access to PPE and other concerns that had to be addressed. But what I'm confident about is that while there have been some tragedies, I think seven overseas, an example of just uh, a devastating example of where uh, things can go very wrong very quickly to spread like wildfire, it's clear to me that the supports that the city has for its workers and its, you know, along with its PSWs, for um, made a big difference as far as just, um, you know, their jobs are less precarious, there's more support just built into the infrastructure of how we do our work uh, than uh, many long-term care homes across the province that are run by the private sector that were run with more of a profit motive. And it's just evidence to me that um, there are a lot of lessons we need to learn, but there are also a lot of lessons that we can share. Um, I saw in Kingston, for example, how right off the mark, their city um, reallocated, redeployed a lot of their bylaw enforcement that typically is at restaurants immediately towards the long-term care homes in their city to be able to uh, ensure that there was proper screening and support. Um, I also um, strongly believe that the relationship between our homes along with other long-term care homes and not-for-profit and private sectors uh, need more uh, formal and close relationships with acute care or hospitals so that um, when we are able to address our care needs, our residents' needs, our staff's needs, um, and, and HR when people are legitimately scared to go to work, um, that we have the support immediately of hospitals who can provide us the support that is needed immediately and have the people who can come in and support us too. And that relationship between us being an emergency measure, that should be a continuing uh, relationship. The other thing I, I should add is, uh, this is an ask that I'm, I'm making mm -hmm. the province, that while we now build from what we've learned, 
and we make our homes the safest and most secure homes possible, that we don't just build a bunch of Fort Knoxes, um, that we just don't build these, you know, these, these um, fortresses that forget about the quality of care that we want to improve on even in normal times where the people who live there are not isolated and lonely, and that the quality of the living environment can continue to increase in standards that follow the emotion center. Uh, these are some of the apps that are making the province, but also emotions that have made the city itself. So then you would say, I guess, going forward to make sure that you do have the testing in place, those type of protocols, the PPE, and as well, I know that you, um, last year, it was your, your emotion-based um, centered approach to, is that going to be now fast-tracked or is still going on the same schedule to, you know, launch that out to all homes so that type of approach can be to accommodate, I guess, with especially the isolation, the loneliness that a lot of the residents probably faced. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I want to see every every recommendation that we have and everything we know to be quickly adopted and changes need to be made in real time because um, we are still in a pandemic and there may very well be a second wave. Uh, so, you know, as I keep reminding people, we may be done with the pandemic, but it's not done with us. So we need to be making decisions in real time to continue to learn, continue to adapt and change and improve. We also need a long-term inquiry uh, to make sure that we understand um, what mistakes were made own them, accept them, not with a punitive or partisan approach, but just to learn and grow and improve so that we are better prepared, not just in a few years, but even uh, this winter. Exactly. And then moreover, um, and by the way, even to that inquiry, we should mm -hmm. be adopting lessons as we learn rather than have to conclusion. And then uh, moreover, yes, uh, I moved the motion, as you know, to um, to bring an emotion-centered approach to care in the city, in the city's homes. Um, there, you know, the city agreed to pilot, and that's what they agreed to, and that's what's budgeted, and that's what's, you know, that's what's been approved. I'm not an incrementalist by nature. I also recognize that you sort of have to prove that you're right before just demanding that you are. And uh, so I don't see that expedited. That being said, though, I'm also making requests to the province beyond and above what we're doing at the city, to take an emotion-centered approach and actually make it part of the provincial standards, um, which, you know, considers just the approach to people with dementia and others who are living in their homes to be more caring and provide more individualized care rather than um, treating them like patients, to, you know, involve them in their own care and understanding who they are and what they need. But to be able to do that, we also need to allow our PSWs and other staff the time and the ability to do their jobs as well as they want to and know how to do it. If we have PSWs who are overworked, overpressured, stressed, having to pull down two other jobs and um, aren't paid well, they don't have benefits. In the way that I think we do a better job in the public sector than the private sector. No argument. But if we don't support them and allow them the hours that they need to be able to not rush from resident to resident, but really be able to build those relationships so that they can get to know who they are and what they need, uh, then we're not going to do a good job. So a lot of this has to do with 
um, not just talking about our PSWs and our frontline workers as heroes and put the, you know, fly those flags and put beautiful pictures in our windows and, you know, knock our pots and, pots and pans during emergency times, but remember them after the emergency. And don't forget that, you know, we need them not just during emergencies, but they're caring about the people we love every single day, all year round, pandemic or no pandemic, as the years move forward. Yeah, so, because, I mean, with the uh, this pandemic, the COVID-19, it's obviously going to be around with us for some time uh, for the foreseeable future. And with family caregivers, how can they be included um, in this type of dialogue with the city that they have their family members um, in these facilities um, to be able to be part of, I guess, at the table to give their voice as well to say, how can we be able to see our loved ones still keep in contact because um, I know with um, some of the um, communication piece, a lot of the homes didn't have, let's say, um, the technology to be able to facilitate a lot of that. So how can that, you know, be enabled moving forward to be able to try? You you bring up such a good point. And, uh, you know, I, it, it was not lost on me that while the province was boasting about providing tablets uh, to uh, students, um, the very people who were the most vulnerable in our long-term care homes, the reason they were the most vulnerable, along with shelters, is because this virus goes after uh, uh, certain groups more than others would be. Uh, those who are over 70 and those who uh, have uh, pre-existing conditions and most certainly in congregate settings. You're going to find all of that in many long-term care homes. So, that's why, you know, our attention needs to be focused on our long-term care. And, um, and there was not and has not yet been a good enough effort to ensure that uh, there is Wi-Fi along with the technology itself, tablets, uh, to be able to ensure that whether it be the, the, the resident at that home or um, a caregiver working in that home, like a PSW or to be able to, you know, manage that for them, but to be able to talk to the grandkids or talk to their family. Um, COVID-19 is, um, is, is a disease that's killing people. And, our, and we're, we're rightfully obsessed with it because it's affecting our lives and people's lives and, and destroying our economy and, and our normality. That being said, though, it is not the only thing that hurts us. And study after study demonstrates that um, and certainly in, in the seniors, um, isolation and loneliness, but you know, the effects of loneliness uh, also has a direct impact on our, our health, our longevity, our quality of life. So COVID-19 is something that we need to be on guard for, but, but loneliness and, and, and isolation is too. So um, I've written to the province. I'm, I'm asking people to support that ask. If people will, um, if they believe in that, uh, go to my website at joshmatthew.ca okay. and you will see my asks on behalf of those who I hear from who share these values uh, to the Premier, to the government, uh, to make these changes. And again, uh, this is not punitive. This is not partisan. Uh, you don't have to be a liberal or, uh, or green, and also you don't have to feel on the defense if you're concerned. It's not about that. Yeah. Um, this is the Premier we have, this is the government we have, and they have an opportunity um, to do amazing things. Um, and we want to encourage them to do that based on 
the feedback and understanding of those who work, live, and care about the people who are in our long-term care homes. The other thing, by the way, uh, I should bring up is that I co-chair um, an accountability table with Dr. Samir Sinha, who is a rightfully celebrated uh, head of gerontology at, at Mount Sinai and just an incredible person. Uh, and um, we bring together between 70 and 90 voices from the nonprofit sector, uh, everyone from community organizations, caregiver organizations, and governments, and, and, and first responders, etc. We all come together on a regular basis uh, to not just figuratively bring all those voices to the table, but literally create a table, although these days it's virtual, understandably, uh, as this has to be, but to, to ensure that the voices are heard. But for the average residents, um, go to my website and I spell that how you can, you know, make your voice heard. And that would be incredibly helpful. Absolutely. We'll definitely put that out there as well. So basically what you're seeing is, I guess, in your steps moving forward, you are having dialogue with the province. You are having dialogue with the greater community as well to say yes. what will be the next steps or how to we can be able to better support during this time of, you know, during this pandemic, right? So there, there, you know, even, even when, I, when I had to go into early isolation, uh, self-isolation in early March, mm -hmm. um, I was on the phone from morning to midnight, literally. Um, with so many people who are going through you know, various degrees of uh, struggle to, to you know, as, as society started going sideways. And um, I heard a lot from people who were concerned about a long-term care homes, the, um, the, um, the ability that we had at that time to protect the people who both work and live there in our homes. And uh, we're raising uh, really important points Ringing alarm bells at times, where I think we could have done better. Sometimes because you know we should have known, and sometimes because we couldn't have known. And now, in retrospect, we need a reckoning about what happened so that we can improve upon it. Um, but all those voices are important. I am constantly trying to learn from people who are living this every day, so that I can amplify those voices and and advocate for them. And for example, when, when you go to my website and you, and you, you know, sign on the petition and you, you make your voice heard, it doesn't just go to like, uh, you know, it's not just something you sign. There's a mechanism that actually allows it to go to your local MPP, for example, along with the government directly, so that these messages can make an impact and then we can actually see some real change. But it takes a few minutes to just go and do something like that. And, and you know, rather than just complain, we have to push for change. And uh, and through the accountability table, we actually set up a mechanism even within local government for people to literally hold our feet to the fire so that when we create policy, there's a check-in before it's implemented. It's really important. That's great to hear. And so what would be then the, I guess, the checks and balances then moving forward to for these changes that will be coming up uh, within the city run homes? So within the city-run homes, um, we are um, both uh, asking for the city to be a productive and transparent partner in the province's review. I would prefer um, it to be a full inquiry that has more depth and tools to be able to seek the truth and more transparency and accountability. But even if they stick to their position that it's going to be a commission, 
then I want us to put up our hand and say, we are going to be the model for other sectors to look at. And I say sectors in the not-for-profit and private. To, um, to, to resemble. In other words, our, our willingness to not hide, put everything on the table, to share what we've done well, admit what we've done wrong, and grow and learn and, uh, and, and contribute to the profitability and safety, most important. Moreover, um, Paul Rackus, general manager of our long-term care homes and senior services, has committed to also an internal review of Toronto's homes. That review, and I know the mayor because I've spoken with him about this, can't just be something that is sort of like slipped over to council or the mayor and, you know, signed off on and say thank you. There needs to be openness about the results of that review and there needs to be public discussion so that uh, we can be pressured to do better and more as well. Um, but again, I mean, I, what is clear to me is that we have to, you know, keep improving on our city's long-term care homes and the position that you are in and I'm in where we care so deeply about what we do in the city. We need to keep putting the pressure on the city to not pretend that we figured everything out and keep improving and building. But I also am convinced, just based on what we've seen through this pandemic, that even as imperfect as our long-term homes are, and the tragedies we've seen at places like Seven Oaks, our homes are more resilient than the ones that are run privately, and we need a reckoning, and we need to ask why that is, and we need changes to ensure that never again do we see the horror stories that came out of the Armed, armed Forces report, where, um, to say it simply, I think anybody who wants to be able to remain at home to the end of their life should have that opportunity. And home care needs to be strengthened and improved. And I also believe that for those who are going to, whatever reasons, and there are many reasons, or even prefer to be in a long-term care home. They need to be places where each of us would feel not only comfortable, but happy to have anyone we love live there or be there ourselves. And certainly it goes for the people who live there. Absolutely. Um, so I guess in terms of, you know, as I said, with family members, um, I know Protocols will probably have to be in place uh, for them to visit, whether that's outdoor visits, um, and even if there is the opportunity to be able to have indoor visits, how would that look, right? So I guess part of the inquiry will touch upon some of these items. Is that correct? Well, it, it, it'll be both the inquiry, but also, most importantly now, based on the real-time advice of our public health officials. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we've learned a lot about this novel virus, but we're still learning. Yeah. And um, what, it, what, is, what, what we understand today that we didn't know in March, for example, is that um, we are more vulnerable to um, both transmitting and, and contracting the virus and, and, and having the disease um, in indoor spaces and in congregate settings. We are less likely, although not me, to doing so in outdoor spaces. So as the province is allowing, finally, and I've been asking for this for weeks now, 
for um, for an essential you know, loved one uh, to uh, to you know help contribute to defeating you know loneliness and isolation in their homes. Um, I think it's you know it's reasonable, especially we are in warmer months, and it's practical in Canada to do this right now to have outdoor settings where we meet. The question will be in the fall, and as the weather changes, um, have we determined if it's safe or not? Not just to those individuals from meeting, but collectively to, to everybody else in the home to, to let somebody in that way. And you know, right now, I think out of an abundance of caution, it's too early to go there. Uh, but of course, if, if it's needed to be safe, then that should be considered. But phased, right? Phase, phase, yes. phase, phase, phase. And we all have to be ready, whether you're in a long-term care home or anywhere else in society, to accept that if, if, if we find that the cases are going up or the deaths are going up, and in the next wave is, 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 is harder than we, we want, we also have to be prepared to go back a few steps if, if necessary. No, no, that's great. And of course, um, with, this, with the city, you're working with the public health as well, uh, with a lot of those um, protocols to be have in place. And um, I guess for most of the city homes were, except for a few, were impacted uh, negatively. But for the ones that were, you know, doing quite well, I guess those ones where you'll take the lessons learned, I take it, from those particular facilities that are within the city? Absolutely. I think we, we, you know, we need to equally learn about what went wrong at Seven Oaks as we can learn from how, at least I've observed, well, no more, I've observed, um, um, which were towers, Castle View, which were towers, yeah. uh, address uh, their outbreak. Um, and there are you know, many other examples where I think we need to review, and this is happening, it will happen. Again, just honestly and transparently, what, what could we have done? Like, I'm, I'm convinced already that there, and again, this is my opinion. Yeah. But just from everything I've learned, there intuitively there could have been a better job screened from early on. Just even out of an abundance of caution. It, it, because if it's a novel virus and we can admit that we don't know enough about it, why wouldn't you want to tighten up even a little tighter at the beginning and then learn that you can loosen rather than perhaps not collecting information that they eventually did with, with, with you know, improved screening? That, that it eventually evolved. But again, it's easy to sort of look back and go, they should have, could have, would have. Um, that reckoning will happen, that review will happen. It's gotta be transparent. It's gotta be done in a way that it arrives at a committee at City Hall where it's open and members of the public, including those of you who, you know, work right there, can ask questions without fear of repercussion. Because, you know, just like my, my dad used to say to me when I was a kid, that people don't fix things until they're such a good thing. And it's not, it's not about being cute. It's not about looking for who to blame. And maybe there should be blame if somebody did something deliberately wrong. That's a different story. But our whole focus really should be, how do we make our long-term care homes the safest, most resilient they can be, but without forgetting to make them wonderful places to live and work, and places where people get the individualized care and addresses who they are and how they need to be cared for. 
as people rather than just patients and not turn these into clinical penitentiaries for people have suffered. And if we can do all of that, um, then we've, I would submit, done something that should have been done regardless of the um, And that's another question I think we need to ask ourselves. Why wasn't elder abuse in some cases? Why wasn't the way we pay and care about the people who work in our homes considered more? And why weren't those individuals who live there considered in a more caring way? City, not-for-profit, private, to different degrees. Yes. But why, why, why has it taken so many different efforts, even to get motions like mine passed, to even do something incremental with a pilot? Why is that so radical and, and remarkable? Why isn't it just something that we want to do and are willing to invest in? And why would that be a reflection of our priorities? Um, I think these are questions that we need to ask. And uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad that we're finally asking. No, this is a, a great uh, opportunity, and I'm glad for, for this type of conversation to be had. Um, I think it was needed well before the pandemic, but uh, I'm glad that the city is moving forward uh, with a lot of the, these initiatives and trying to find some way uh, to be able to work within um, this particular uh, COVID-19 pandemic to be more, I guess, aware and more encompassing of the residents that uh, they take care of. So. I, I, I appreciate that, and I just I want to reiterate that um, both Paul Raftus and Meritori have spoken with both of them, and they not only have made commitments, I believe that they are genuinely dedicated to the same goals, um, and that gives me confidence. That gives me that excites me because um, you know I don't I don't I'm not seeing anybody block. I'm seeing everybody sort of say yes, of course, of course we need to make these improvements. We need to be open and transparent about it. And that gives me some hope that we will move in the right direction. I just always want it to move faster than Absolutely. Let's keep pushing. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Councilor Mappo. I really appreciate your time and for you to speak on this. So, um, again, thank you so much.